My brethren and I would like to greet each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And today, as we have gathered here, I would like for you to stop and think for a moment of how the Lord has prepared for each one of you a blessing today. He knows what each one of us needs, and He is prepared to give that to us today in our individual needs and our corporate needs. And so I trust and pray that as we have uh, sat under that beautiful ministry of music, thank you, Mark, thank you, ladies, and we look forward to hearing from you again, that you can take those moments to ponder the blessings that the Lord has given to you, the blessings which He has for you in your life. Today, there's a few changes. Uh, actually, uh, Brother Ed Turner was supposed to be standing here presiding. Uh, he had me down for the invocation, but Brother Ed and his family have been taken ill, so they are not with us today. So I am standing in for him and... Because of that, I've asked Brother Mike Estel to stand in for me to bring that invocation. Today we have Brother Todd Smith with us. He comes from South Chrysler. He is an elder there. His wife was unable to be with him today, but we appreciate him being here and sharing with us in that ministry. And we do have a potluck after the service, and so we would invite each one of you, uh, the guests and friends and family, to stay and to Share a meal with us. There will be more than plenty. And also, uh, Brother Todd made known to me that South Chrysler has been holding meetings in the evening time on Sundays through this month of February. And they're studying Latter-day Revelation and the Doctrine and Covenants. And tonight, uh, Brother Scott Nixon will be sharing there at South Chrysler. So, if you would, we do not have service here tonight, so if you would, you're welcome to join them there tonight at 6 o'clock. As a call to worship, I would like to read to you from starting in the book of Colossians, 3rd chapter, 12 through 15. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is a bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body." And be ye thankful. And also from Moroni chapter 8, verses 52 and 53. Wherefore, cleave unto charity, which is the greatest of all, for all things must fail, but charity is the pure love of Christ. For it, and it endureth forever. And whoso is found possessed of it at the last day, it shall be well with them. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, pray unto the Father with all the energy of heart that ye may be filled with this love which He hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of His Son, Jesus Christ, that ye may become the sons of God. And when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is, that we may have this hope that we may be purified even as He is pure. Amen. Let us continue in our order of worship as is outlined.
Almighty God, our great and wonderful and powerful Father in Heaven, Father, Thy beauty and Thy majesty have been made manifest in the glory and the beauty of this morning that You have awakened us into. We thank You, Father, for that beauty. We thank You for allowing us to witness it. And we thank You for drawing us together this day for this hour of worship. And at this time, Father, we would invoke Your quickening power upon this assembly that each and every one might be brought into Your presence, that we might be edified and uplifted by the power of Your Word. We pray, Father, that all that we do here this hour and this day might bring honor and glory unto You. And we pray it in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father has given us each one those special gifts and blessings for us to enjoy. And He's given us that promise to each of us this day as well that as we would keep the commandments, we would prosper in the land. And He's also given us that knowledge how we are to give those good gifts back to Him. So let us pray. Dear God, in the name of your Son Jesus, we come to praise the holy name for all of your good gifts and blessings that you provided for us on our walk and our journey in this side of life. So Father, we just pray now that as these monies are taken, that they truly might be used for the upbuilding of thy kingdom in this corner of your vineyard in these last days. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, the scripture that I've chosen to read, we will find in the second book of Samuel, the fifth chapter, uh, basically the first seven verses. And I want to make you aware that this very same passage of scripture you will find very similar also in 1 Chronicles 11 and 3. So we have two places that this story is recorded in the Old Testament. 
Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, thou wast he that ledest us out and broughtest in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 and three years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. The same is the city of David. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word. Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a real pleasure for me to be here. I'm very honored and grateful that uh, 
you would allow me to come and to speak. I want to say to the young ladies there, terrific song, great song choice. You know, in some ways, many of the things that I'm going to talk about this morning perhaps are really just the idea that uh, Jesus is our friend. And uh, what a friend he really is. He's, uh, he's bigger and more powerful and more amazing than you ever imagined. Think of your wildest dreams, the most biggest, most spectacular way in which you can imagine that he is. And I can personally guarantee, tell you from personal experience, that he is far bigger than that far bigger than what you can ascribe to him. Uh, that's, how, that's how big he is, and, and he's just a tremendous friend. The uh, scripture that I read is about a story in the Old Testament where finally all of Israel, because you see what happened was first David was made king at Hebron over the tribe of Judah and Benjamin there. You remember that the... Uh, there was a split in the kingdom. And because of that split, you had the ten northern tribes and uh, Judah and, uh, you know, the half-tribe of Benjamin there. And uh, so first, David became king over Judah, the kingdom of Judah. And then eventually, when Saul died, then the northern tribes, they all came together. And so it says all the elders came together and they make this compact, this league, this covenant with, with David. And you'll notice in there that the very first act, the first thing that happens after that, is David goes in and he takes the high ground. He reclaims that piece of ground that they had never before taken when they came in under Joshua. The Jebusites had always held a portion the high part of the city of David. And they were so sure that David couldn't come in, they said, we've put the blind and the lame up on the walls to repel you because you'll never be able to come in. And uh, But David takes it. And so there's a great principle. There's this tremendous principle in this story for us as Latter-day Saints to think about. You know, I... To dovetail in with this, I want to take you back to uh, section 100 in the uh, Doctrine and Covenants. And here we have, after the saints are run out of Zion, the Lord speaking with Joseph Smith, and he's telling him how they're going to reclaim the land, how they're going to go back in and take it. And he says, go and gather the strength of my house. Try to get, you know, 500 elders. But if you can't get 500, get 300 and then he says, but if you can't get 300, just, just get 100 men. Get 100 warriors, 100 men, you know. I really believe, brothers and sisters, if we could just find 100 elders in the church today that truly had Jesus as king in their heart, we could easily go back up there and take that temple lot. It would come back to us. It would come back to its rightful owners. You know, there's a principle there. So we see that the opportunity to become Jesus' friend, to make Jesus king of our lives, will pay great dividends. And so I want to tell you uh, some personal testimonies. I hope you'll forgive me for that, uh, bringing any kind of personal references in. Uh, I'm very, very impressed with the yearly and monthly theme that you have. And... uh, I absolutely love it. I want to go back uh, briefly and tell you uh, a quick testimony. Uh, years ago, uh, Brother Michael Brown, who happened to be the pastor at the Lexington branch at the time, he called me in uh, January, and he said, uh, he said in February in the evenings we're going to start a uh, series of services and classes on worship, and he says, I want you to come down and teach one of those. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. And so uh, I got off the phone with with Michael, and I thought to myself, what am I doing? I I don't know the first thing about this this topic. You know, who am I? Uh, What, you know? Uh, And it was Wednesday night, and so I got ready, and I went to church. And I was sitting there in church during the meditation early, you know, 
and uh, out of, out there at Oak Grove, you know, they'll they'll play the the piano softly before uh, before uh, prayer service. Some you know some some places do, some places don't. But out there we did, and uh, sweet the time, exceeding sweet. Hymn 101. Uh, the pianist was playing that softly, and so I felt inspired, and I pulled the gray hymnal out, and I popped it open, and I looked there, 101, and I began to read the words. And as I got to the to the, like the second part of the first verse there, where it says. Where the Savior is the theme. And as I read that, the Spirit flooded me. And the Lord just instantly began to bring me this information that I needed to go and teach those classes. You know, we worship a great God. And uh, if you want to enter into a fullness of worship, if you really want to worship, keep Jesus Christ as that theme. You know, really there's nothing... And the restoration, there's, there's no uh, restoration distinctive, there's no restoration doctrine that isn't truly a part of Jesus Christ. It's just an extension of who He is. And so when we recognize that, when we begin to see all the principles of the gospel as tied directly to Him as part of who He is and what He is, what He did, and we, and we incorporate that into our preaching and our teaching, uh, it, it brings in a sense of worship, and uh, it can be very, very powerful. So this is a very powerful theme. I'm very, very pleased uh, to see that you're focused on that this year. Uh, we could all use more Jesus in everything in our lives, especially in today's world. So I want to tell you, uh, start off by telling you a, a little story here. Uh, Brother Ed calls me a week ago on a Saturday, and uh, I see that I'd missed his call, so I picked up the phone, and I thought to myself, huh, I wonder what Ed wants. I called him back, and he says, oh, he says, Brother Todd, he says, uh, just wanted to check in. He says, you know, he says, I'm going to be presiding, and I wanted to see if you needed anything or whatever, and there's this pause on the phone while I'm scared, thinking, I, didn't, I don't remember this. I don't, I don't remember what's, what's going on here. I put everything in my calendar I, this this you know and i'm thinking i know he's right i know i'm supposed to preach there but i i didn't think it was tomorrow you know and i'm really worried and so i say to him i say oh well uh you don't mean uh you don't mean tomorrow right you mean next week and uh, he goes yeah that's right and i said oh okay i said no i said i, I don't need anything everything's fine everything's good you know and uh, so I told him I looked forward to coming out, and we hung up. And uh, I, my wife was right there. She heard this whole exchange, and, and uh, she's looking at me. And I said, wow, I said, I, I, I don't know how this happened. And then I realized, I remembered that last month I got a new phone, and I had transferred everything over, but some of the things in the calendar, for some reason, they didn't make it over into the new phone. So I, I, I wasn't aware, you know, that it was coming up. And uh, and she goes, uh, she goes. You think he knew that uh, that you'd forgot? And I said, Oh no! I said, I, I, I you know, I, I don't think so. And then she looks at me and she says, He's a professional detective, you know. <laughs> and uh, I'm thinking, Yes, I know she's right. So I was looking forward to Ed being here while I told this this uh, little antidote here. But, uh, you know, as a result of that, the rest of that day, I was having a conversation with the Lord about right now. And, uh, and I said to my wife, I said, you know, I said, I haven't thought about this once. Not once has the Spirit brought this to my mind. And I said, I've been down the road with the Lord long enough to know that there's good reason for that. And uh, so I wasn't frustrated and I wasn't upset at all. I still felt very comfortable and confident that the Lord would bring me uh, what was needed for this morning. And sure enough, on Wednesday, we were very slow at work. 
uh, orders are way down, and uh, we didn't hardly have any any kind of work to do. And I work in a maintenance department, and we're on call. So when we're not when we're not on a call, we have time to sit at my desk and to read and to study, to contemplate. I've had great experiences at my desk at work, thinking about the Lord and the things of the Lord and the welfare of my soul and the welfare of your soul. And uh, that Wednesday, the Lord began to pour it out on me, and I felt a great spirit, and there was some great communion. And uh, Jesus and I were friends in that moment in a way that I absolutely love it. I love it. It's beautiful. I don't really have the words to describe to you. I can only hope that the Spirit kind of opens your heart a little bit to it, kind of helps you see and maybe understand a little bit about what I'm talking about. But I knew because of that experience that uh, there would be plenty. There would be more than enough. And I know I have a couple pages of notes here, but uh, really my purpose this morning is to come and to share some stories with you about Jesus and about things that uh, go on with us between him and us and the things that uh, he has shown me. And so, uh, you know, all things... All things have been delivered into the hand of Christ. We read in Psalms 8 and 6, Thou hast made him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. John 13 and 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. 1 Corinthians 15 and 28, And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. So think about that. Christ is eventually, as Paul states in the New Testament, to become all in all. In other words, in the final analysis of this whole experiment, this whole experience, eventually it all becomes everything about Jesus. It's all about him. And uh, that's really what what maybe the problem with Zion is and has been for us for many years is that I, I know for myself that uh, I didn't understand that. Uh, the revelation of who Jesus really is uh, hadn't, hadn't come into my heart. And so as a young man, I was really foolish in some ways. I remember the first uh, sermon that I preached at uh, South Chrysler when I came there back in 2012. I uh, started attending there the 1st of July, 2012, and then in November of that year is the first time that I was on the schedule there to speak in the morning. And uh, I went through and I went through about four things where I was the fool, where I thought I knew who God was and God showed me otherwise. And uh, I want to share one of those things with you. I see there's some younger people here, and I want to talk to those young people today. And I want you to to think about this. You know, as a young man, I found myself at about the age of 12 or 13 with a a severe condition that perhaps isn't very prevalent in today's society. But back in the uh, 70s, it was, and it was called car fever. I had a bad case of car fever. I wanted a car so bad I could taste it. I just couldn't wait to get one. I didn't even need one to drive it right away. I was just interested in working on it, turning wrenches, taking parts apart, cleaning them up, putting it back together. I, was, I just had this passion, this desire for this, and I had this fever. And uh, I worked hard, and I saved my money, and I had you know hundreds of dollars ready to go. And several times there were some really good bargains that came across. I remember one, one in particular, a 72 Monte Carlo, uh, for $300, and there really wasn't anything wrong with it. It was just had over 100,000 miles on it. It was a little old, a little dusty, and uh, and I was, boy, this just seemed like God's grace coming to me, you know? And I went to talk to my father about it, and my dad was like, nope, 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 you're not buying a car, you're not going to get a car. Man, he cut me off at the knees, and uh, that was hard. But you know, there was something inside of me There was this voice, and the voice said, don't go against your father. And I didn't, so I let it pass. 
And pretty soon another deal came up, and another, and another. And this kept going. And uh, all through high school, all my friends, they had interesting, cool cars to drive. Some of them had funny cars to drive. It just it didn't matter. But, but they had their own vehicle, most of them. And I didn't. I was driving my dad's lime green Volkswagen Rabbit. Ugly, ugly, awful little car. I saw. Oh, it did not fit my love of, of the American muscle car at all. So it was like I was going backwards here. And, uh, but I was patient, and I didn't cross my dad. And it wasn't until I came home from my freshman year in college at the age of 19 that uh, I saw a guy had a Mustang for sale up there on Salisbury Road in Independence. And I said, I said, Dad, I said, there's this Mustang up there. The guy only wants like $300 for this. I'd really like to go get this. And my dad looks at me and says, yeah. He says, it's about time you got a car, you know, as if he wondered why I'd waited so long. It was like he had completely forgotten all those times he told me no. And, you know, years later, I talked to him about this experience, and I said, Dad, I said, why? Why did, you know, what was the reason? What was the great wisdom that you had that, you didn't want me to have a car. He goes, I don't know, I don't remember, you know. It, it wasn't on his mind at all, just almost like an arbitrary thing. But uh, So I bought that car and I brought it home, and two weeks later, I'm looking, I'd come home, I was working construction at the time, I come home early and I look in the Independence Examiner on Wednesday, which is when classifieds came out, the classified ads, that's something you young kids probably don't know much about. But uh, anyway, the... Uh, there was an ad in there for a 68 fastback Mustang with a V8, this $450. And uh, so I grabbed my brother and Jared, and we, went, we drove over there in a pickup that I was borrowing from my grandfather to drive around in uh, because the other Mustang that I would bought was uh, in pieces. It, it was just, it wasn't, you know, you couldn't drive it. And uh, I went and I bought this car, and I brought it home. And uh, I was able to sell that other car for almost what I paid for this one. And uh, I rebuilt some all the brakes and did some stuff on it, put a battery in it, got it going, and ended up driving that thing for over 100,000 miles. And that was a great little muscle car, and I, I just enjoyed that all the way along. And uh, I thought, wow, I thought the Lord's just, He's so terrific, He's so wonderful that He blessed me in this way. But you know what, brothers and sisters, I was a fool. Oh, I was so foolish I didn't understand. You know, here it wasn't too long ago that I sat down and I made a list. It wasn't just that Mustang. You know, I've, I've never really had to buy a car to have my second car to drive to work and back. The Lord has brought me car after car after car after car after car. The Lord has never ceased to bless me because I submitted to my earthly father at that time, you know. And he blessed me. He's so much bigger than you imagine. After having that car, I thought, this is a great end to the story. But it was just the beginning of the story of the cars. It was wonderful. It's beautiful. It's the car I got right in the parking lot out there. So I, I didn't pay anything for it. It was given to me. It's a gift. The Lord keeps doing this. He's powerful. He's big. But you do need to be obedient. Listen to your earthly fathers while you're still of age, you know, especially if you're under 18. Once you're over 18, the Scriptures say, eh, you're of age. You can do make your own choices. But uh, when you're a younger teenager, you should pay very careful attention to your parents and honor your parents. And then later in life, the Lord will honor you and He'll bless you. So, but, you know, the thing about it was, brothers and sisters, as I look back on that, I realized that the Lord did it. And what makes it even more amazing is that my love of cars really was, in some respects, very idolatrous. It was more important in my life than what it should have been. It wasn't as important as Jesus Christ. Anytime anything, no matter how good it might be, takes the place of Christ in our life. It becomes idolatrous. And so often the very best things, and if you go back and you look in the Old Testament, what were the, what were the, uh, what were the idols made of often? 
They were made out of the finest stone, the finest silver, the finest gold. The best things that they had in that society, those things became their idol. And so for us today, you know, often it can be the very best things. You know, it can be our love of church. It can be our love of being religious. It can be uh, our love of the scriptures. Literally, the very best things in our life, if they supplant Jesus Christ in any way, they become idolatrous. And so we should be cautious. We should be careful. You know, God wants us to be involved in all those best things, those good things. But there's no one better. There's nothing greater than Jesus Christ for us in this world. That's the way that God the Father set it up. He made it to where it all comes through Jesus to get to Him. So it's a beautiful thing. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, are we really looking to Jesus? Are we really looking at Him? You know, I think over the past 40 years in the church that what we have gone through is a period of time similar to the time of the judges. At the end of the book of Judges, and I happened to teach a Sunday school class on the book of Judges here several years ago at South Chrysler, and uh, I ran across two places where it says this, this gives this little statement, and I think this statement's very, very telling uh, because we see this happening around us in the Restoration every day. From Judges 17 and 6, In those days there was no king in Israel. You remember we talked about making Jesus king. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And boy, that has been true in my life. You know, for most of my life I've lived my life doing what I thought was right in my own eyes. In other words, it was my understanding of what was right that I judged myself off of. I didn't really hold myself up to the perfect ruler, to the perfect rule. Uh, You also find in Judges 21 and 25, it says the same thing. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And I think that's a pretty good explanation of some of what's gone on in the Restoration over the past 40 years. So we have to ask ourselves, are we really looking to Jesus? or Is Jesus really important to us? Here, uh, it's been probably six or seven years ago, I had an experience. I was... uh, at home, and uh, I was in the bedroom, and in the bedroom we have a TV, and uh, my wife is doing some stuff, and she had on uh, the Antique Roadshow, and we liked that show, but we weren't really paying attention to it. We were busy doing some other things, you know, busy with our lives, and uh, and but there was this story that came on about this particular painting, and as I was listening to this sort of in the background, the spirit touched me. And I knew that I needed to stop what I was doing and pay attention. And so I stopped. And uh, I sat down and I began to watch about this painting on the, on the show there. And uh, it, was a, it was a story about a painting. The painting is called El Abion, which is basically a rough translation to, uh, in English, the bricklayer or the laborer. And uh, there was this famous artist, those that are into art, you know, will know what I'm talking about, but that's not necessary for the story to understand that. But uh, it's a very famous uh, Mexican artist. And uh, anyway, this painting was uh, thought to be lost in the the, uh, Mexican Revolution back, I don't know, about 1912, 1913 in there. But this man was from Texas, and his grandparents used to go on vacation to Mexico, and in the 30s, while they were on vacation there, they came across this painting at a roadside stand. And they thought, wow, this looks terrific. And they thought, you know, this is a really good copy of uh, probably the original, and so they bought it for a few pesos. Hardly paid hardly anything for it. So they brought it home, and they hung it up in the, uh, in, inside their home there, but it was hung in a place where the door kind of swung open. And you know how we often, many of us in our houses, we have places where there's a door that always stays open. And it's up against the wall. And this painting was behind there. And so nobody really saw it, you know. And uh, eventually as they got older, they thought, you know, we think that this, 
you know, there's a, there's an outside chance that this could be the real the real deal, the real painting, but they weren't sure, so they went and they had an appraisal done, and uh, the appraiser confirmed that yeah, this this is probably really done by this particular artist, and uh, it's it's an important piece of work. It's a work that he did when he was in art school, so it's one of his very early pieces, and uh, so they thought, wow, okay, this is great, you know, and uh, they passed it down to their grandson. And uh, their grandson had it, and he had taken it and put it in his office, leaned up against the wall in his office at work. And uh, he knew what it was, but he didn't really understand what it was worth. And, uh, in fact, he donated it to one of the universities in the Southwest and said, you you guys want to put this in your collection, and that way more people could enjoy it. So the university took it, and the whole time they kept it locked up in storage, and it never saw the light of day. So finally he went and he took it back from the university. And uh, he saw that the road show was coming to town, so he brings the painting in and he sets it before the appraisers and the appraisers get excited because they recognize the true value of what they're looking at. They're very excited. And I'm excited because I'm thinking, you know, what's it going to be worth? Because I love it when something that nobody sees any value in they come up and say, yeah, it's $300,000, you know. It's $200,000. It's $60,000. I love it when that happens, you know. And, uh, and they say to him, they say our appraisal is at auction. It's going to bring about a million bucks. It's a million-dollar painting. They said it's got three things. It's got providence and, and this story and authenticity. And they listed off these three things. Uh, they said, this painting's got all three. It's the real deal. And uh, so, uh, you know, the guy's flabbergasted. He's like, I, I, knew it was, I knew it was real, but he says, I didn't understand the value. I didn't understand what it was really worth. And uh, so then what he did was he, it's, he took it out of his office you know, he didn't take it back to the office and lean it against the wall. He put it in a secured vault, you know, because now he had something that was a great asset. So he wanted to secure this great asset. So I watched the story with great interest, and uh, I, I know the Spirit's talking to me, and I'm thinking, what, is, what are you trying to tell me, Lord? So over the next few or four days, I'm pondering on this, and the Lord begins to bring things to my mind. And I begin to see that the story of this painting is sort of a, a word picture of what's gone on in the church. And, and with the fact that uh, to a large degree, many of us have come in to possession of Jesus Christ, and we didn't pay much for him. It didn't really cost us anything to have Jesus. And as a result of that, yeah, he's in our lives. We keep him hanging on the wall, but it's not in a place of prominence. And... Uh, we don't really understand how valuable he is. And it's not until this revelation comes from the appraiser. Who is the ultimate appraiser? Well, you know, the Spirit comes and he appraises. He helps us understand the value of what we're looking at. And uh, I saw that if we would have understood the value of what it is that we're dealing with, we would have treated it very differently than we have. And that uh, what we would have done is we would have made sure to secure this testimony of Jesus Christ and who he is. And I saw also that as a result of this, this man who had this painting, he secured it. And I thought to myself, you know, the Spirit said, now... He has secured this, and now the whole world knows what this man has. You know, you can go online and, and see this story about this painting. You know, everybody knows what this man now owns, what he has. And I thought, you know, if we would secure this testimony of Jesus Christ, the Spirit was saying, everyone in the world will recognize what we have. And they will come. They will come to this city. They will come to independence. They will want to know. They will want to view. Finally, they will want to view this thing that's so valuable, so wonderful. And you know, the interesting thing about this painting is it's so unremarkable. It's a picture 
of a worker, a Mexican peasant with a big straw hat. He's got on just white laborer clothes. He's got a bucket and a shovel, and he's standing in a courtyard. Boring. It's just, it's so unremarkable. And yet, it's the greatest painting that I've ever seen of Jesus Christ in my life. I absolutely love that painting because of this experience that I had with it and with him. You know, there are a lot of things. We're out of time already almost here. There's one last thing that I want to talk about that I know the Lord wants me to share. You know, there's something that can block you in your journey this year as you chase after Christ, as you seek to come and know who Jesus Christ is. And that's unforgiveness. So I want to tell you two quick stories here to close. You know, my grandfather, he was a pastor out in central Missouri Stake, and uh, he had gone to a uh, meeting down at the stake office. This is back in the 50s. And uh, while he was at this meeting, uh, there was a bishop there, and this bishop uh, pulled out. It's ironic we're talking about uh, Thomas teaching you about tithing, tithing statements. And they were having a meeting dealing with that same thing about tithing. And uh, the, uh, this bishop takes my grandfather's tithing statement out, and he reads it and makes it public to all the other guys there at the meeting. And my grandfather was furious. And uh, his co-pastor at the time was Brother John Quick. Now, maybe some of you older folks remember Brother John Quick, but he was about 6'8", 300 pounds, and he literally had to lay hands on my grandfather to hold him down in his chair. And he got him out of there before my grandfather. He was furious at this man, that this man had done this. It's a terrible thing what this man did. And he goes home and he told John, he says, this, remember, my grandfather's the pastor. This is like Tony Brown coming home and telling his wife, I'm not going to church again. You know, and that's what he did. He said, I'm not going to church. And he stayed off of church for two or three weeks. He refused to go. He was so angry, so angry that the Lord would let this happen. He couldn't forgive this guy for what he did. And uh, he was working over between Grain Valley and Oak Grove down in the Sny Bottoms, down in those bottom ground there. There's some really good, rich farmland down there. And he was working for a man named Ray Batman, and he was plowing. It was in the fall, and he was plowing. And he had one of those old Johnny Popper tractors the old two-cylinder diesels, and they go pop, 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 pop. And they're super loud. I mean, you really ought to wear hearing protection if you're standing next to one. And when you plow, it's like a boat anchor dragging through the dirt. I mean, you're, you're, it's, that tractor's got to be wide open to pull that plow. And there he was, down in the bottoms, plowing. And he hears a voice, and the voice says, Leonard. And he thinks to himself, he looks around, he's thinking, this is crazy, I... I can't hear myself think, and yet I heard this voice, and it came again, Leonard. And then it came the third time, and when the third time it came, he knew what it was. And he shut the tractor off, and he got off the tractor, and he fell down on his knees in the dirt. And he said, what is it, Lord? What is it? And the Lord said, Leonard, are you going to let a bishop keep you out of celestial glory? And that's all that had to be said. He got right. He got up out of the dirt. And he forgave that man. And he went back to church. Did his job. And uh, he lived a long life and the Lord blessed him immensely. And he lived till he was almost 96 years old. He had many visions and dreams about Zion and different things. And so the Lord was a great friend to him. But brothers and sisters, it's very possible for something to have happened in our lives that holds us back, that holds us out of this friendship, and that's unforgiveness. We must forgive. We must forgive. And if you don't feel like you have the ability to forgive, then you get persistent with the Lord, and you get out on your hands and knees, and you begin to ask the Lord every day. You ask Him, Lord, I can't do this, but I know you can. You have the power. You're the friend that I need that can change this, that can change my heart. And he'll do that if you ask him in faith. You know, sometimes, brothers and sisters, the thing that we're, that we're struggling with, we're not even aware of it. 
I was driving home from work. I was working midnights over in Kansas, and I lived out in Grain Valley, and I was driving home from work, and I drive down I-70, and I drive right by a uh, car dealership. And as I was driving by this car dealership one morning on the way home from work, I began to think about something that happened back when I was 10 years old when my dad and I had gone shopping for a car at that car dealership all those years before. And as I drove, I noticed that I was clenching the steering wheel so tight like I was going to break it. And I was so angry, so furious at what had happened at that car dealership. See, at the time, my dad was looking for a car and This was at a time when my dad didn't have a good job, and he was out working, doing things that wasn't his normal thing, the thing that he wasn't good at, but he was working physically hard. I knew he had worked hard to get this money. We'd gone to this dealership, and this this, uh, salesman had promised my dad that if he'd give him $100, he'd hold that car until we got back on Monday. Well, the guy lied, of course, you know. uh, And so we go back, and the guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know. I was 10 years old. I wanted to kick that guy in the knee and the shin so bad. Oh, I was ready to choke him. I was so furious at what he did to my dad. You know, years later, I talked to my dad about this. My dad didn't even remember it. It didn't bother him. My dad knew. Don't get offended. It's all right. So you stole $100 from me. You'll have to deal with the Lord. You know, it's okay. But not me. I was 10 years old, man. I was like, you, you don't get away with that. You know, that was inside of me. I was so furious. And I'd never forgiven that man. So 30 years later, I'm driving down the road, and I'm grabbing that steering wheel. I was like, I was choking this man. And I just, the Spirit flooded me. I knew, got to forgive this man. This isn't right. This isn't right, Todd. And so I forgave that man. And I prayed for him. And you know, by that time in my life, I had been out there in the world. I knew how the world was. I knew how hard it was to keep the wolf away from the door. And actually, I had a lot of sympathy for this man at that point in my life. I knew what it was like to fall down and fail and to not make it, to have things go really, really bad and then have them keep going bad for a while, you know? I knew what it was like to be destitute up to a certain point. And I was able to forgive this man. And I prayed for him. And, uh, you know, it all went away. And the Lord blessed me. And he still blessed me today. So brothers and sisters, don't let, uh, don't let forgiveness keep you out of this friendship with Jesus. And uh, we're out of time. I got I had a lot of other stuff here, but, you know, we've said enough. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for coming this morning, for being here, and for uh, loving Jesus. Uh, thank you very much.
O God, the eternal Heavenly Father, in the blessed and sacred name of Thy Son, Jesus Christ, our King, our companion, the ruler of heaven and earth. Father, all that we have, all that we'll ever receive, is from Thee. We count it a blessing. be in this house. We have heard your word, everything that needed to be said was said. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that you pour out upon the saints. We thank you for our lives. We thank you for the meal we're about to partake of. All these things you have given us. And we're so grateful that we dedicate our lives afresh, anew. And Father, we pray that when we go from this place, that we will have no other God before thee. that our entire focus may be on Jesus Christ and none other. Lord, let there be no idols in our life. Let there be nothing which separates us from Thee. Father, may all our focus and all that we do think and say and every motive be to the glory of the King the ruler of the universe. Father, we pray that you would create in us a clean heart, clean hands and a pure heart, that we might forgive all that has been done against us, that you would forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. What a blessing it is to be named Christians. Who are we that to be set? So set apart. Because of the joy in our hearts, Father, we pray that we might go forth. Bring that joy into the lives of others. And say those words and do those deeds and have that image in our countenance that will bless people and cause them to want to gather in and to be a part of this great and marvelous work. In the blessed name of Jesus, again we pray. Amen.